0: I'm Rachel Horgan. Join me each episode as I sit down with a guest co-host covering the latest business stories in the Seattle area. We'll read the news so you don't have to. This is The Weekly. Okay, welcome. I am so excited to have a New co host today. Uh, We're going to be rotating through different guest co hosts. It'll be a mix of different journalists, um, executives in the Seattle area, some subject matter people that will share their opinions on what's going on in Seattle news. So, my first, uh, well, I guess second guest is my former boss and friend, Emily Parkers. Hello, Emily. Hi, Rachel. It's good to see you. Um, Emily has impressive background. I want to share with the listeners so they know how lucky they are to have you. Um, you've been a reporter for many, many years. Then uh, you were a reporter at the Puget Sound Business Journal, moving up into the editor-in-chief role. And then keep climbing that ladder up to the president and publisher of of PSBJ at the age of 35. Very impressive. You then move over to be the VP of Content at 6 a.m. City, which is I would say a daily email, more so lifestyle focused, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And then on your free time, chairman of the board at the Cornish College of the Arts. So uh, impressive background, very focused in the news for a long time, right? Very focused. Almost 20 years, believe it or not. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Um, do you care? To, I know you left 6am city pretty recently. You, and you always taught me to try and break news during events. So do you want to share where you're going next? As much as I would love to share details. Um, there are some exciting things cooking. I hope to be able to share them really, really soon. But I'm not ready just yet. All right. I tried. Um, okay, well, let's get into the stories. Uh, I We have some uh, exciting stories here today. We're going to start with a lot of tech. I didn't do that on purpose. That's just, that's the way it goes. And then we'll end with a few stories on food. So I'm going to run through what those six are, and then we'll, we'll jump in with the first one. Sound good? Great. All right. So we're going to be talking about Expedia layoffs. I promise we won't talk about Expedia every episode. They just happened to make news last week. Uh, Microsoft has a new deal with an AI company. Uh, Techstars, which is a startup accelerator, closed. Uh, Rover gets acquired by a private equity firm, the FTC blocks Kroger's acquisition of another grocery store, and Burbs Burgers it closes in Seattle. So that's what we're covering. Let's get started. Let's start with Expedia. Do you want to share a little bit about what happened over there? Yeah, it sounds like Expedia did some layoffs this week. And um,
1: it was Really sad to see. Although I can't say as though I'm super shocked to see it. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of tech layoffs this year. Uh, uh, one of the tallies that I saw was forty thousand jobs wow. um, in tech have been have have gone away so far this year and it's it's still february when we're recording this yeah. um so it's it's been a tough start to the year there's a lot of conversations about those being related to overhiring during the pandemic i think we've all heard that um quite a bit as well as ai um and certainly expedia pointed to both of those mm-hmm. when they were talking about their layoffs
0: this year right week. that's what i was going to ask you is that we've got a lot of tech companies be like whoops, we hired too much during the pandemic because things were so successful and now we're just right sizing which there could be some truth to that as you're saying the other th- thing you mentioned is- is people and what Expedia says in their statement is we're just restructuring, which which means we are focusing a lot more on AI. So these developers that don't have AI experience, they're out, we're bringing in this other department. Would you say that's right? I think that's part of it. Expedia also is heavily
1: reliant on airlines and travel, mm-hmm. and that is still recovering. And um, certainly the the issues with Boeing and with Alaska have a reverberating effect through that industry. And when you're so heavily reliant mm-hmm. on airline travel that's going to be a tough uh, hit for Expedia as well so I as much as I would like to say it's completely an AI and an overhiring thing I think it's also partially
0: related to Expedia's business model Yeah yeah it could be a big mix Do you think you're going to see more tech layoffs this year is this just is this not the end of it
1: It's not yeah. I mean I, I hate to say that that's such a downer I know um, but uh, but certainly you know we've we've already seen quite a few in the Seattle area. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I know a lot of people who've mm-hmm. been affected by these layoffs. It's it's hard to live in this area and not know yeah. folks who have been affected by it. And it's a real thing. Um, and it's going to reverberate through other industries that rely on tech for um, their own businesses. So mm-hmm. I don't think it will be completely limited to tech. It's a little canary in the coal mine for uh, if you want to lay into some cliches here. But yeah. I do think that that's a little bit what we're looking at.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Anything else? No, that was a depressing start to the podcast, yeah, I know. Rachel, thanks I'm for realizing. that. <laughs> um, okay. Well, speaking of AI, so Microsoft signs a deal with a French company called Mistral AI. Now, why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? I would like to, to have a little background on this story, and then we can kind of dive into like what that means. But Microsoft has this partnership with a company called OpenAI. And if you've used ChatGPT, that is an OpenAI product. So when you think OpenAI, I think ChatGPT. Microsoft has this partnership. Um, they have 49% ownership, so they don't own it outright. And last November, what seemed like out of nowhere, the board at OpenAI oust their CEO. They just kick him out. You're fired. Sam Altman, you have to leave. And he's like, okay, well, then I'm going to go work at Microsoft. Two to, like A couple days later, announces he's working for Microsoft uh, CEO Satya, Satya Nadella hires him along with other executives, and then 500 employees of 700, by the way. So pretty much every employee signs this letter saying to the board, hey, if you don't get Sam back, we are leaving. or going to Microsoft too, which I think was pretty impressive to see and then sam says um you know the the board tries to get him back after all of this and sam says okay fine I'll, i'll come back um but there was some sort of investigation they didn't i didn't get a clear sense of why they ousted him it was seemed like more communication issues is what they're citing but they're not really sharing too much so that's the background on the drama between OpenAI and microsoft so um tell us kind of what happens next with with france's company I
1: think what's interesting about what Microsoft's doing here is diversifying their AI holdings and relationships, and it's a really smart move. Um, uh, the The quotes that I saw in the press um, were were from Brad Smith, and anybody who who lives here in Seattle and has interacted with Microsoft, I'm sure, is aware of of Brad's relationship with the company over the years. He's their their um, head of legal, and he's a really smart guy, and he mm-hmm. has managed to keep Microsoft out of some regulatory issues. After um, those of us who've been here for a while remember when Microsoft was uh, really deep into some regulatory issues, and and Brad has done a fantastic job preventing that from coming back. I see this as them diversifying their relationships in the AI space, which is increasingly coming under regulatory scrutiny. And this is a really smart move for them. It's also international. That's another really smart move for them. And um, I think that the. the 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 smart thing here is to build out that those relationships and that infrastructure across a lot of different ai companies so when the regulatory pressure comes on it's not just one um it's not just one company that will that will get hit yeah it's it's multiple and they'll be able to they'll be able to protect themselves a little bit better than if it's all in one sandbox
0: yeah it's interesting because when i read this article my first thought was, okay, they're signing this deal with this French company, just in case things go south with OpenAI, they've got a backup um, company that they can rely on, which, I don't know, maybe there's some truth to that. But it, it's interesting to hear your perspective of no, it's really more of a regulatory issue. And potentially, maybe also what they said is true is that they were just trying to get different AI companies, different, I don't know a lot about AI, but different layers of AI, and, and possibly that's all true, too. Well, for sure, and
1: um, the conversation we were having moments ago mm-hmm. about Expedia, you know, doing some layoffs related to AI. I think there's there's also going to be a future of a lot of new jobs related to AI, and Microsoft wants to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this organization in France is is really far ahead. It's a great organization for them to be um, getting into a relationship with, and it'll it'll help them plan for the future.
0: Okay. We'll keep an eye out and see what happens. Oh, we've got a closing of a company. It is. I need to find some more upbeat stories because we've got two closes on this one, and I think we had two on the other one. Um, But so Techstars, this one's. I'm glad that you're on for this one because you said that back in your reporting days you reported on this company. So Techstars is a startup accelerator. So for those that don't know what that means, if you are a person, you have this idea, you want to start this company, um, you can pitch it to either an incubator or you could also go into this accelerator program. So uh, long story short, an incubator is more, I think, like you have this idea. It's a longer term that they stay with you. They provide resources. They help you with connections. They give you money. And eventually you have this product that you can hopefully sell accelerator. uh, You know, you're a little bit farther along. You already have this product. You enter into this three month intensive situation, intensive program that results in a demo day that you eventually hopefully get funding. So the, the, Techstars that's closing is a, a Seattle accelerator, and some of the big, uh, big name world uh, companies came out of it, which you were just mentioning, which were they were? Remitly um, started within Techstars, as
1: did Outreach, and then there's a company called Zipline, which I believe has moved to the Bay Area now, but started in the Techstars Seattle program. It's just, I think for me, you know, I, I came here 14 years ago and were was covering tech and startups then, and and Techstars. Seattle was um, in its the early days of its heyday, and there were just such incredible people uh, affiliated with that organization. Um, and there were there were sort of the the startup mafia of Seattle, right? Um, we're all involved in in tech stars, and th- there was I had the opportunity to spend some time um, with some of the tech stars companies and hang out in those spaces with them. Rachel, it was just like this great ecosystem of people and they were sharing ideas and they were helping each other. And I think that's part of the value of the incubator systems is that you don't just benefit from the people who are coming in who have done it, you know, and of course, that's a huge benefit. You get the experienced entrepreneurs in there, but you're also sitting next to somebody who's working on a completely different problem, but probably encountering some of the same challenges that you are. And so it creates this kind of space and I would say, you know, i I, I think folks who were following Techstars aren't totally shocked mm-hmm. by this. I think they're disappointed. yeah, and that's the the what I've been seeing from from folks in the startup community is just mm-hmm. sadness and disappointment mm-hmm. that we're losing this resource here in Seattle, and they've chosen to focus. On areas um, where there's frankly more venture capital and more opportunity for the companies that are involved in tech stars, which from a business standpoint makes a certain amount of sense, sure, right? Sure. You know, that's follow the money. It's pretty basic. You're, yeah. gonna go to, you're gonna go to Silicon Valley. You're gonna go to New York. You're gonna go to LA. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but there's some amazing things happening in Seattle. And it's, it's sad to see this particular resource go away. And uh, I think that's for a lot of folks in the startup community right now, a little bit what they're feeling. Yeah. That said, there's an amazing community here of startups and, and startup founders. Chris DeVore, who was affiliated with Techstars for a long time, um, has Founders Co-op. And uh, if you if you're following the story, I'm sure you've read um, his missive about the the, the death of Techstars in Seattle. But um, he's just one of so mm-hmm. many incredible folks, Pioneer Square Labs and a, a lot of great organizations here in town that that support our startup community. And it's why it's as robust as it is. Yeah. And so we have a lot to be proud of here, but it is a kind of a, a sad departure.
0: Yeah, and just to get into the why they're closing, what I was reading is that they were low on funds to support this project. And so then they started relying on corporate sponsorships. So then they're going to different companies to fund them to then fund the startup founders. And then it's, then that translates into you're serving these corporate sponsors, not necessarily the founders. You're doing things to provide ROI back to these uh, corporate sponsorships rather than helping the startup founder come up with the best idea and putting resources into them. And
1: you know, I think anybody who's following this can kind of see the direct result of that. You just described it really well, Rachel. It's um yeah, when you're when you're beholden to your corporate partners and your corporate sponsors and they're they're pulling the strings, they want very specific things, right? Yeah. They want opportunity for um, these companies that are spinning out. Of incubators uh, to essentially buy their services, right? They wouldn't be involved if there was no yeah. ROI for them. On the other end, yeah. Um, and it's it's um, it's a very different model mm-hmm. than uh, investors and venture capitalists,
0: right? Because the. Techstars, you were saying their motto was was give first approach. So basically give the founders a chance, whereas a corporate sponsor, they don't have an official motto, but the motto is probably like, give me money. So, you know, I was kind of relating to this because I've started, besides this podcast, I've started a few other projects. And every time I start it, it's because... I believe in it and I want to do it. And there's a demand for it and a need for it. And every time I tell my friends about it or whoever, their first question is, okay, well, how are you gonna make money on that? I'm like, well, that's not the point. <laughs> like, I'm just doing something because I think that there's a need for it. And eventually, if it makes money, great. And I, I know that's a kind of a naive uh, approach to an actual startup company. But I liked that that was kind of that mindset with Techstars. Very much so. And, and certainly, I don't want to discount the fact that the
1: tech stars was was looking to make money too. And, course, and yeah. certainly the, the, the VCs that were investing in these companies were as well. But that give first approach, there was there's something really special about that, about giving people a chance to figure it out. Because if if you're only investing in the companies that you know, are going to succeed, it's going to be the same people who get invested mm-hmm. in over and over and over again. And we see enough of that. We see enough of that in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of the things that struck me immediately when I walked through that TechStars room the first time was the diversity of the people mm-hmm. who were in that room, and I think you lose something when you stop focusing like that.
0: Yeah. Very true. All right. Moving on. Our fourth story. We've got six for you today. So our fourth one is Blackstone acquires Rover. So if you're in Seattle, you probably know Rover. But even if you're not in Seattle, you probably have heard of Rover, and that is the app slash website that connects pet sitters to pet owners. It started in 2011 and here in Seattle, and it just was acquired by Blackstone, which is a private equity firm for $2.3 billion in an all cash transition, uh, transaction. So, um, this was announced in November. This isn't new information, but the deal did close last week. Uh, Aaron Easterly, he's the co-founder and CEO. He's still involved in this whole uh, process and he's excited about it. Um, what else to say yeah so you know i think that the conversation of private equity taking over companies is an is an interesting one and, and can be a long discussion but i want to hear from you kind of you know what do you think this means for seattle and uh, is it a good thing is it a bad thing well aaron sh- ha- should be excited
1: uh, i'm sure he's, he's <laughs> shopping now. at very for very expensive houses right mm-hmm. now um, it's a it's a great outcome for him and so i think there's there's two pieces to this this story it's a, actually a really great story for seattle Um, This is a great exit for an amazing Seattle company that was built here, has a lot of um, really talented, smart people here who have contributed to its success and now are winning as a result. You know, when you... When you join a company like that a lot of times you get you get equity in that company and so there's a lot of
0: people in seattle who are benefiting from this exit yeah so when you we were talking about this earlier when you say exit for listeners that don't quite understand that um how does it actually benefit seattle so of course people that had share shares in that company but who else would be benefiting
1: yeah so essentially it's everybody who who had shares in the company and that's employees um executives in the company as well as the investors so madrona Mm -hmm. venture group for example was an early investor in Rover and suddenly is getting a big cash infusion as a result of this sale. So what does that mean? Well, Madrona is a venture capital group. That means they're going to be able to take this money and reinvest it back into the Seattle startup community and find the next Rover. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what an exit like this means. And it's it's really exciting. I think it also means that suddenly there's a bunch of people at Rover who have a little bit of cash, and maybe they do their own investing, or maybe they start their own companies. And so that's a really exciting thing. And it's what contributes to a really healthy startup ecosystem. Now, the flip side of that is this is a private equity firm. Mm -hmm. Um, And anybody who knows anything about private equity firms is their job is to extract
0: value from the companies that they acquire. And yes, the CEO can be excited of, yes, we have a lot more funds now. We can do a lot more things. But that also comes with a, a loss of power and decision making. And so this firm can come in and private equity firms kind of have this history of coming in and only caring about the bottom line, only caring about revenue, cutting costs everywhere and kind of destroying a company. And then when it is destroyed, they just sell it off for parts. So um, but that doesn't always happen. That's just some history that we've seen. So hopefully they can have a successful partnership and can just grow Rover fingers crossed on that. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one question just because you, at your previous job, we had talked about a big goal at 6am city was to be bought. Why is that important for companies to want to be bought? And uh, how does it differ when it's an investment firm like uh, Blackstone versus a different company like Microsoft or something like that?
1: Yeah, it's sort of the difference between a private equity firm and a strategic investor. And a strategic investor often is somebody in the industry or with an interest of taking what, uh, what you built. And merging it into their organization so it's usually some sort of similar type mm-hmm. of company with a private equity firm i mean the, the, their job is to find the value and double down on that yeah. and and extract as much as they possibly can and then probably sell it maybe even to a strategic mm. um and so there's a um it, with with private equity the uh, it's a little bit of a, a different model than a, a venture capitalist, for example. And, and we don't have time to sort of drill into that. Right. But at the end of the day, the whole goal in selling an organization is that you want it to keep going. Yeah. Ideally, you don't want it to be sell, sold off for parts. You want it to have the, the backing and the money to continue to expand. Mm-hmm. And these private equity firms have billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they can invest if they see an opportunity on the other side of it. And so it is possible that some of the business lines that Rover had that might have been struggling a little bit will get the love that they need in order to continue to grow. Um, Sometimes that infusion of cash allows an expansion, and that can Mm -hmm. be um, really beneficial for the organization and for the customers.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, The CEO does sound hopeful, and that does sound like his plan is to just grow the business. All right, two more stories for you. FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, blocks a acquisition. So they file a lawsuit to block Kroger to acquire Albertsons. Uh, what does that mean? And who are they? So Kroger, if you are familiar with Fred Meyer and QFC, this is in Seattle, I should say. Kroger um, has Fred Meyer and QFC. And then Albertsons is Albertsons, Safeway, and Hagen. So basically, these giant grocery stores want to combine And that will create pretty much a monopoly in the grocery industry. Not exactly, but pretty close to it, I would say. Um, And so Kroger's argument is, hey, this is going to result in lower prices, because that's what we do. And then FTC is saying, "Um, no, (laughs) that's not what's going to happen. That's pretty much a monopoly, and that's when prices go higher, because you can, because no one has a choice. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, this is such an interesting story. Um, and we've seen a lot of consolidation within the grocery industry. Um, it's a really tight margin industry. And it's why you see grocery stores sometimes turn over so quickly. Uh, I right, it. meaning
0: like if they're se- if you're selling a five dollar product, um, it costs them probably four fifty. They're making fifty cents, so a small margin. I mean, they're not much making much on each individual sale of an item, but their goal is to just sell a bunch of items to eventually make the money.
1: Yeah, and, and when you're comparing them to you know the companies we were talking about before, which are software as a service companies with recurring revenue, it's so much easier for them to make a massive profit. They can have fifteen employees and make mm-hmm. you know fifty million dollars. Uh, it right. takes a lot of people, a lot of human capital to run a grocery store. So it's very, very expensive. I think the 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 thing about the FTC blocking the deal, particularly in Seattle, it, it means a lot here. Um, we have a lot of Kroger stores and we have a lot of Albertson stores. Mm-hmm. And so what would likely have happened if this had been allowed to go through is they would have forced a divestiture, which means they would have forced them to sell some of the grocery stores here that were... There were too many of them, basically. And what's likely to happen is they take a look at the books, they look at the most profitable grocery stores here, and they sell off the ones that are the least profitable. Of course they do, right? Like, yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be the areas of this community that are not maybe as financially well-off that are going to see their grocery stores close. And so it can actually have a really negative impact on the community maybe heard of food deserts, areas where there's no access to healthy options for food. And that's when mergers like this can really um, hurt the community. And Seattle in particular would have been really significantly impacted By this deal because there are so many crossover stores.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about it in my own world, if anybody's listening in the event industry as I am, that I think that is starting to happen with the AV industry, audiovisual industry, as Encore continues to acquire more and more companies. They are such a huge part, you know, have such a huge market share and they can charge whatever they want. I've seen it firsthand. Love love the people that work at Encore, but it can be really difficult because us, the event planners, don't really have a choice. So um, yeah, I would, I would be worried about that as a consumer at the grocery store, that they would just hike up prices because they can and we don't really have a choice. So it's good news is the FTC saved the day and is blocking this acquisition. All right, moving on to burbs. Um, it's sad story. I, I, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know why I ended with this one, Um, but chef and restaurateur Josh Henderson has closed five of his Burbs burgers locations. He's known for starting and then selling skillet diner chain. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, Burbs, you may notice that that was in the quality athletic space, which is down in, uh, down by the stadiums. And it also has a location in the Great Notion Brewing. We were just talking. We've both been there recently. Uh, and so they had five total locations. They opened up Burbs in 2020 in that quality athletic space. So that was their first one. And then accumulated, of course, accumulated some debt with the pandemic. And he tried to counter that by opening up four more locations, but unfortunately just couldn't make up for the, the losses that he had. So he filed for bankruptcy in, in November. So I, I sort of saw this coming, um, unfortunately. And then days before closing last week, he did post on social media as kind of a last ditch effort to try and get investors, but just just couldn't get it. So it's I don't have a lot of discussion on this. I think it's just sad to see. Um, Do you have any thoughts of like kind of why this happened? Do you think we can blame this all in the pandemic or what? Well, certainly. But I I think the other piece is debt is just really
1: expensive right now. Um, And what that means, interest rates are really high. And it just means that you're having to spend so much money just making debt payments that it's really hard to keep a business going. And we were just talking about grocery stores being low margin. Try restaurants. They're even lower margin. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really tough uh, industry, especially in places like Seattle, where the cost of labor is really, really high. And there are a lot of regulatory hurdles um, in this in this city. And so it, it's, it's a really challenging, really challenging industry it
0: reminded me of paying student loans is that you like, keep paying, but you're paying the interest for so long. And I, I imagine that's what some of the restaurants are going through. That's exactly what they're looking at. And it's too bad, because my family loved burps. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great little spot. Yeah, I just hope we don't see this continue as a trend with other restaurants in that they accumulated this debt, thought that they could get out of it by now it's twenty twenty four and I'm hoping that this isn't a time where people are are shutting down the doors because they couldn't get out of it.
1: You know, I I would hate to see it, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um and and the pandemic was really hard on a lot of industries, but particularly restaurants. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of restaurants accumulated a lot of debt and then debt got really expensive immediately afterward. And that combination of things is really a one-two
0: punch. Yeah. Well, if you're a restaurant listening and you want to sponsor this podcast to help get more exposure... I'd be happy to help. Uh, Thank you, Emily. This was so fun. I love talking about the news with you. What a fun role reversal too, because you used to choose all the news stories and and talk about news and now now it's me. So um, this has been really fun. Thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. This has been The Weekly. Make sure to check back next Sunday for the latest local business news. We love listener feedback. So if you have any story suggestions, comments, or complaints, Email us at theweeklyseattle at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.